in the entertainment capital of the world. It's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance in this first half tonight. The doctor operates here. Well, he has trouble with the snap. And the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State. Jalen Watts Jackson. And he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Hey, it was BYOG. Bring your own guts. And they brought some guts. Is now in. Hour number two, post Super Bowl. Glad to have you with us. TC Martin Show streaming live wherever you may be. TCMartinShow.com. Ballpark Frank in the house. Numchuck on the other side of the glass. Appreciate our good friend TJ Reeves, who is still celebrating there in Tampa. And I saw the picture that he was uh, talking about. He sent it over where Gronk and uh, Brady are right in front of him talking about going to Disneyland. So he's right there. That's uh, good stuff for him. It's appropriate that they made that statement because yeah. they kind of make KC look like a Mickey Mouse football club yesterday. Oh, you go, you go barbecue, <laughs> you're going Mickey Mouse. You got it all there. There hey, it is. Hey, you got to kick a man when he's down, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure Chiefs fans really appreciate that. Our good friends at How Fr- many are there really? Uh, I mean, there's more now that they're good and people are jumping hey, on the bandwagon. Hey, that. Hey. But how many diehard Chief fans do you know? I know a very close friends of mine, the owners of Freddy's. Remember where they in, uh, originated at, right? And I know Curtis uh, is, is not feeling well today. I know he's not feeling well. I mean, so I know I a bad. couple as well, so but die hard. You see this guy's man cave. You talk about Chiefs. So, yeah, they're, they're out there, no doubt. Yeah. You know, especially in Vegas, you've got so Probably many Probably more of them than there are diehard Tampa Bay fans. Well, yeah, I've been around a lot longer, you know? So There are a few Tampa Bay fans, though. There are some. There are some. But you don't think about that, you know, fan to pandemonium like you do. You know, Packer fans, Chiefs fans, Bears fans, Cowboy fans. I mean, you you think of that. Well, Giants yeah, those, fans. They're, they're generational. Like you said, exactly. they've been around forever. Yeah. When you've been around yeah. for 100 years, it's a lot, <laughs> lot easier to build up a fan base, even if... Like one or two of those teams you mentioned, they're not that good. Right. I'm not going to say which ones that would be. All right. <laughs> All right. So let's uh, let's talk about the sports book side yesterday as well, too. Let's bring in our good friend, Matthew Holt, U.S. Integrity. What is going on, Matt? TC, how are we doing? We're doing good, man. All right. First of all, congratulations on uh, collecting your best bet yesterday. You gave it out on, on Friday. There it was, under 27 and a half for the first half. Let's do the math here. Let's see, a 21 to 6 half time. Ooh, you squeezed in there, didn't you? Yeah, that, I mean, that looked like it was going to be the easiest money there was for a while after a very slow, slow first quarter. Uh, but Tampa scored at the end of the first quarter to make it 7-3, and uh, they ended up being close, yes. Yeah, and just think about it. The Chiefs, you would expect to have a touchdown at some point in time in the game. You, you thought, okay, probably more than likely to have one in the first half. Uh, they got in the red zone a couple times, couldn't come through. They settled for those field goals. So, yeah, that, that made you a winner. So uh, congratulations on, on that, and uh, great job there with that. The hook takes and the hook gives. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. There you go. All right, overall, good day for the sports books, and a lot of people don't realize that because we talked so much about the huge wagers that were out there, and we know that there are a lot of late flurry with bets as well, too. But uh, just talk about first the the books cashing in yesterday. Even though they had a couple big bets uh, they had to pay out in Tampa Bay, but the majority of the public was on Kansas City. 
Yes, and it was the Kansas City props where the books are really going to pay off. Props like first Kansas City Chiefs to score a touchdown where books took massive amounts of money on the Travis Kelseys, the Hills, the Sammy Watkins, the Edwards Hilaires, the Dare. Uh, and at the end of the day, they didn't have to pay any of those. They paid the KC, will not score a touchdown bets. That was huge. All of the Tyreek Hill bets. Uh, we're all unders. I mean, the only thing on the Kansas City side that got over that was popular was the Kelsey props in terms of yards uh, and receptions. But other than that, Kansas City unders were a deadlock across the board. Um, one of the most popular bets was actually Mahomes to win MVP. Right. And what we saw is people not wanting to lay the Kansas City Money line decided that, hey, there's basically a direct correlation here between the Kansas City Chiefs winning the Super Bowl and Pat Mahomes winning the MVP. So why would I lay a dollar sixty when I could take even money or even plus one ten? And that's a prop that opened around plus one thirty in a lot of places, closed as low as minus one ten in many places with a ton of money bet on Pat Mahomes. Obviously the book scooped all that as well. It ended up being a Huge day for some of the books yesterday. So, Matt, when you say a huge day, kind of paint the picture there for our listeners. What kind of numbers do you think that looks like? And we know the handle, that's that's another conversation, another category. But when you're talking about being a winner for the books on a Super Bowl Sunday, what do you think that means? Well, I think in some cases, I think some of these books, so when you talk about $150 million worth of handle, just to make it a nice, easy number, and some of these books are probably going to hold close to 10%. So for some of these books, let's say there's 15 books on average, so the state wins $15 million, a lot of these books are looking at seven-figure wins. Wow. All right. Big day for the sports books. When you look at that, and, and we did see a game that um, – you know, it got out of hand, and Tampa Bay was in the driver's seat, certainly in the second half. How did that affect the in-game wagering? Did people stay tuned in? Were they still involved in the lines? And how much did the lines change of Tampa Bay going from that, you know, three or three-and-a-half-point dog at the start of the game? How big of a favorite did they become during the second half of the game? So you have to remember that even though the game was a blowout, Tampa Bay didn't score their first points so there was under 30 seconds to go in the first quarter. So it was 7-3 to three, Tampa right at the end of the first quarter. So the in-play betting on the first quarter was particularly heavy on the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that was kind of amazing in the game. They kick a field goal. They got Tampa to, bet on the, uh, to punt on their first possession. After that first Tampa punt to open the game, there was a wave of Kansas City in-play action that came in figuring, wow, you know, you force them to punt already in a game that's not going to have many. Um, so I think what we started to see is the end of the first quarter, all the way until halftime, was bets coming in on the Chiefs, figuring, you know, the Chiefs were going to come back, the Chiefs were going to come back. I think that touchdown at the end of the first half, though, sealed it. And what we saw was a second half with little to no in-play handle, you know, when the Chiefs called two timeouts to help Tampa Bay um, down the field to make sure they had plenty of time, and then they end up scoring a touchdown instead of a field goal, what we saw there was the end of the big waves of in-play betting 
because at that point, you know, that the Kansas City offensive line was playing so bad, and um, there just wasn't much room for optimism. And then once it got to 28-9, to look, hey, you know, there's certainly plenty of opportunity for Kansas City to come back. We just didn't see that in the betting markets is people tend to give up on the Chiefs early in this one. You know, we talked about, Frank, that the, the, the game I mean, really, really was kind of lackluster. It was a little boring. I, f- I didn't find myself really looking at any in-game wagers. I just, I just, I just wasn't because I was kind of not enthralled with the game as it progressed. And that's but why I, I was kind of curious. Right, but I did look. I did look. <laughs> after uh, the Tampa Bay scored that touchdown to, to make it 21-6, to six, I looked at the in-game. And at that point in time, Tampa was minus 7.5 at that point in time. And then I know the halftime line was Kansas City. Uh, you know, seven and a half to, for the second half to, to outscore Tampa Bay. But again, it, it didn't matter. You know, th- that did not cover uh, for those that thought, okay, well, the Chiefs are going to come back a little bit. That didn't happen either. So, uh, Matt, we know that late flurry of six and seven figure bets came in 2.5 million on KC uh, within the, yesterday happened. Another $1.16 million bet on the Chiefs came in. A million dollar two team teaser was bet yesterday. <laughs> With Tampa Bay plus nine and over fifty, that didn't get there. So just winner after winner for the books. None of these cash. There were a couple winning bets that the public had. The two point three million dollar bet that we talked about uh, that was laid last week, and then there was another million dollar bet on on Tampa that came in uh, before kickoff on the money line play. At, and that uh, netted a profit of $1.35 million. So, yes, uh, six- and seven-figure bets uh, come rolling in again the last couple of days. Yeah, just some, again, we talked about the amount of big bets that came in and the amount of money that came in on Kansas City. And I guess it's going to depend from book to book because we certainly saw some really big um, – you know, Tampa Bay bets come in as well, including the biggest one, I think, was the one that MGM took. So some books are going to end up doing better than others, as well as some books had a really bad result to Tampa Bay in the futures market. But I think you're going to see some books out there that ended up with, like, you know, holding 30% and a 3 or $4 million win. And But I think even the books that didn't do as well, are still going to end up with a mid-six-figures win because the props were so good for them. I just think this is going to go down. When all the numbers get released and all the stories get told, you're going to see that this one was going to be one of, if not the best ever, for the sports books. All right, so when we talk about the total handle, I know we talked with you last week about this, and you thought that you know because the parties weren't happening. We had limited amount of people that can be allowed in the sports books that the handle was not going to come near close to last year or the record of a couple of years ago. So early reports are saying that this actually could equal last year. Uh, give us any numbers that you have, or give us any you know, thoughts that you have as uh, you know, we'll find out in the next coming days, what the total handle for the state is. So the numbers in, in, uh, all over the country are going to be maz- amazing. The New right. Jersey numbers, the Pennsylvania numbers, the Tennessee numbers where it's 100% mobile, um, they're going to be really, really strong. Surprisingly, the Nevada numbers, I think, are going to do a little bit better than we thought. The foot traffic in Nevada on Super Bowl weekend was pretty good. It wasn't quite up to Vegas standard Super Bowl, but I think 
even the most optimistic of us all would have said, wow, that was a pleasant surprise how many people were in town. And then you add in the fact that the Super Bowl had the two most popular players in the whole league, a point spread of exactly three. I think that there were a lot of attractors to it. I, I think if the in-play, if the game was a little better and the in-play handle could have got another few million dollars, it certainly would have helped. And maybe it would have put us, you know, near the record or close. But I still think, look, I was pessimistic saying 120 a couple of weeks ago. I actually think it's going to be, when it's all the numbers are tabulated, it's going to be a lot closer to the 150-155 range. Matt, when it came to the game, and you're saying that the books had a good Sunday, and certainly that's good for Las Vegas and for the books, what was the key factor in that? Was it because Tampa Bay won, although they did take some money line bets on them? Was it the under in the game, or was it just a culmination of if one thing happened like Tampa Bay winning, but it going under two, it killed a lot of the parlays? Because it seems like a lot of the books really were successful in the fact that most things that people parlayed together didn't come through. Correct. And one of the, the predominant themes across this thing was that this had to be a high-scoring game. And I think what really helped the books and some of the ones where we are able to see the numbers is the amount of prop action on the Chiefs was unbelievable. Let me tell you, I can tell you, I I saw almost no tickets on first Chiefs player to score a touchdown as no touchdown scored. Think of how many millions of dollars are wagered on that market alone, player to score first touchdown for the Chiefs, and they didn't score one. And how many props, you know, will Travis Kelsey score a touchdown? Yes. That was one of the five most wagered on props in the whole Super Bowl. Everybody thought it was a given that Travis Kelsey was going to score a touchdown. When a team whose offense is as dynamic as the Kansas City Chiefs is, then people tend to gravitate to all of their offensive props. And just about all of them, except Travis Kelsey's yards, went under that's going to equate to a really big day for the Bucks. Matthew Holt joins us from U.S. Integrity like he does each and every week, breaking down what transpired Super Bowl Sunday at the sports books. Again, huge day for the books, and a lot of people who had Kansas City thought that, hey, laying three was going to be a gift. And like you said, Travis Kelsey, Pat Mahomes, all of that, uh, not good at all. And the game really turned out to be a blowout. It turned out to be probably one of the most uninspiring and, and call it a boring Super Bowl, Matt. I mean, I go back to 2014 when Seattle beat Denver 43-8. to That was so lackluster. I, I got to go back to that before I think of, like, when was the last time we had a boring Super Bowl? I go back to 2003 when Tampa Bay beat Oakland 48-21. And then in 2001 when Baltimore defeated the Giants 34-7. to I mean, we go back to the last, say, 2021 Super Bowls. There's only been, you know, three, four dogs, and yesterday was one of them. Yeah, you're right. You know, uh, and, and a very impressive dog. I, I think for a minus three, do, you know, minus three, in, in a game where you know basically you only have a field goal spread, it feels close to a pick'em. This game didn't feel like a pick'em when you were talking to the betters, when the betters were betting the props, when they were correlating their different wagers across the board. It really, if you looked at the bets coming in, it almost felt like Kansas City was like a four-and-a-half to six-point favorite, the way that people were betting them, the correlated props, the player props. 
But at the end of the day, you're right. Obviously, this game was much closer to a pick than people realize. And, of course, Kansas City had all the distractions and injuries, so there was plenty of sharp money on Tampa Bay. You know, between Coach Andy Reid's son, who's, who's part of the coaching staff there in Kansas City, being involved in that terrible accident that involved sending a five-year-old to the hospital with life-threatening injuries that night and also involved drinking, to the fact that they were missing offensive linemen and that offensive line wasn't playing well, to the fact that Tampa Bay sent letters and petitioned to the league that the way Kansas City was holding the Buffalo receivers was fouls and inappropriate and kept bringing it to the league's attention so much that it worked. And guess what? They got called for all those penalties in the first half. I just thought there were a lot of things going against Kansas City that the betting public probably had no idea of. And uh, and they sure all showed themselves on Sunday. All right. So let's talk from the integrity standpoint here. Not that I'm saying there's anything wrong, but there was a lot of people that want to be conspiracy theories. That was, oh, you know, Tom Brady's going to be the MVP. He's going to win another Super Bowl. Of course, that talk was out there last week. And then after what we saw yesterday with the – uh, the way the penalties lined up yesterday. I mean, there were a couple calls that were very, very questionable, and I want to get your take on this. And there were four that stood out for me. And we're talking all in the first half here when these turned out to be game changers because it happened early on and then the, gig, the game got away from Kansas City. And there were, there were these four calls that really, uh, you could say, you know, turned the game upside down in favor of, of Tampa Bay. We first we talk about the end of the half, okay? The pass interference on Breland of Kansas City was covering Evans. Their feet seemed to get tangled. I I heard Gene Steratore and a couple other other the uh, officials who do media were saying, yeah, not so sure about that. Um, again, that did not look like a pass interference call. It didn't look like one that maybe you would want to throw a flag in that situation. Uh, that seemed a little suspect. Give me your take on that one. I thought many of them were suspect, TC, but knowing what we know now, which is that Tampa Bay continued to send video and letters to the refs uh, showing what the Kansas City receivers were doing to Buffalo and how it was illegal, whether the refs want to admit it or not, I think it's stuck in their minds. And before they know it, they had decided the football game in the first half with those penalties. Yeah, and the reputation kind of precedes yourself at that point in time when you're when you're known as being a team that likes to hold and clutch and grab. Uh, that's going to create attention, you know. To no different than like a basketball coach talking to a ref. Hey, these guys play this way a little bit. Watch out for that. And, and I know that uh, I've done that a, a, as a coach. Like when you're playing an opponent, and by sending you know tape or film to uh, to the league, that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, that same drive. Um, you know, we also had, you know, pass interference on, on uh, Tyrone Matthew in the end zone. That, that led to a touchdown. There are a couple other things. We, we look at the Chris Jones personal well, foul. Fourth down offside on the field goal. Yeah. And, but that, I mean, that was probably legit, though. I mean, you had two guys, even though CBS really didn't show us a replay there, I think that, that was probably legit. But, I mean, I go back to Tampa Bay leading 7-3. to three. It's second and 10. And then after the play, you know, Chris Jones gets a personal foul for shoving. And then you got that one where Ward is holding. That takes away the, the Tyrone Matthew interception, which ended up leading to a touchdown. I mean, those things, you can blame Kansas City for being undisciplined. But, you know, we've seen more egregious penalties, especially like Chris Jones early in a game like that where he's shoving a guy. Uh, we, 
we know that they missed a call with Tampa Bay hitting one of the the um, the Chiefs guys in the head. That didn't get called. But it just seems like okay, especially early on in the game, for a player who's shoving another player, you're not going to throw a penalty flag in a Super Bowl that's going to cost a team 15 yards in and a crucial oh, time way, and give them Kansas a first down. City didn't stop doing it in the second half. So why did the refs stop throwing the flags? Because the game was out of hand. The refs don't want to decide the game. They don't, especially in a Super Bowl. But the problem is what they did in the first half, and I'm with you, some of those calls we see on a play-by-play basis. I could point to some Tampa Bay plays where it looks like they egregiously did worse than the Kansas City guys that were called for. I think the fact that Tampa Bay had made such a big deal of it stuck in the heads of the officials, and I also think the officials said, well, Tom Brady's the underdog. We don't want to be the reason the GOAT doesn't get another Super Bowl title. And we assume Kansas City will come back. And they simply handed the game to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And before they knew it, the game was out of hand. And part of the reason it was out of hand is because of those penalties. And I can't remember any Super Bowl seeing that kind of disparity. Kansas City, eight, eight penalties for 95 yards in the first half. Tampa Bay, one penalty for five yards. And again, there wasn't one. They showed that it was the most penalties, yeah. the most first downs received by any team via penalty in Super Bowl history, and they broke the record in the first half, Tampa Bay. <laughs> so, so if that's if you believe that that's the case and that the referees kind of blew the game and really helped out Tampa Bay a lot, do you blame the referees or in a weird kind of way do you tip your hat to Tampa for sending those letters and everything and planting that seed and watching it grow and mature into a uh, – a Super, Bowl victory, a Super Bowl victory. Oh, I absolutely applaud yeah. Tampa. I think before a Super Bowl, you have to do everything you can. And let me tell you a little tidbit that a lot of people don't know. It's public knowledge, so I feel like I could share this. Bruce Arians paid six figures last year to a former referee to come in to talk to his players this year exclusively about what the refs are looking at and how to get away with things and how not to. You didn't see Tampa getting called for penalties. Looks like that's six figures well spent for Bruce Arians. Wow, that is a, a fantastic point, too. And that is, is part of it. When you have experienced you know, receivers or even defensive backs, they, the way the game is right now, and it, it happens so fast, that you know these guys are masters at their craft of just subtly knowing what they can get away with and what they can't. Let me ask you this. Back to the referees, and no one's really talking about this today, too. This is the only time, really, that we see an all-star crew, and you have an all-star crew that they're rewarding you know, people. Okay, And we, we saw that happen you know, with um, uh, the female referee yesterday. She got rewarded, and she's been in the league five, six years now, and she got her shot. But what that does do is just kind of create a little difference on how maybe referee, or rather these, uh, these crews kind of call it. When you're used to working with someone every week. It's not the teamwork have, and it's chemistry. It's not the teamwork. And you don't know, like, okay, well, this person has that. I'm not going to look at that and that sort of thing. So I don't know, Matt. Give me your, your take about putting these all-star crews together because we've had this conversation before in these big Super Bowl games where there have been really big-time questionable calls. Is this a good idea or a bad idea? Well, what I really wish they would do is grade out the best crew. So at the end of the year, it puts pressure on these crew chiefs throughout the entirety of the season to say, 
hey, guys, if we want to go referee the Super Bowl, we as a crew need to be the best crew of the year or the best crew this year gets to do the Super Bowl next year. You know, that way you don't have people changing up how they officiate early in the playoffs just trying to get some award. But at the end of the day, it should go to the best crew, and I'm with you. I like the continuity of keeping a crew together. I will say this. This year, though, the all-star crew wasn't just about, you know, part of the problem is we didn't have the same continuity all year because rather than keeping the same crews together all the time, they actually changed crews quite often this year based on geography to make sure that they'd have the best chances of having enough healthy uh, referees due to COVID. So this year was an entire a change from the norm as an entirety as the league itself had to make a lot of, you know, concessions just to make sure they had enough officials due to COVID. But in a normal year, the crew would stick together. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case all year long. Yeah, I mentioned Sarah Thomas. So she had the Super Bowl assignment yesterday. And we saw her uh, make a couple calls and, and talk to the referee. What, what are you guys' thoughts about the way she performed yesterday? Well, congrats to her. I thought, um, you know, I thought she did a fine job. At the end of the day, there were a lot of questionable calls in the first half. But we, we, we can come up with a lot of reasons as to why those calls may have happened against the Kansas City Chiefs. And with that being said, uh, if that really is the case where they were just kind of preconditioned to look for certain things and those certain things, Kansas City did them exactly as they did against the Buffalo Bills, then, you know, so be it. Good for Tampa for pointing them out so agreed, you know, so aggressively before the game. But overall, look, at the end of the day, if the refs are spending too much time on TV, that's not a good thing. The whole experience for fans is to watch the players decide the games on the field. The very best games that fans watch, you don't know who the referees are. Yeah, and when you talk about her, and I mean, I didn't see her do anything egregiously bad or anything, but I do think, if memory serves me, that that one offside we were talking about on the – the, the field goal or whatever, I think she was one of them that did throw the flag on that when you said that they she didn't did. show that again, you know, the replay. Because on TV they were trying to figure out which side it was that they actually called the offside, and they said it actually might have been both of them. So, But uh, it sounds to me like you think that sometimes an all-star crew is more of a motley crew when they're on the field. Yeah, I, I, again, I, and I, if you are going one direction for the entire season, it's like you, you, you have these teams playing together, and the referee, these crews are vitally important, then they should be together. I understand you want to reward them and say, okay, maybe you know you may have a weak link or two on these regular crews, but come on. I mean, this is well, and, teamwork and I think, is teamwork. And, I, I, would, I prefer to, to do that. Just take your top crew if you want to grade them and say, hey, you're getting the NFC Championship game. You guys are getting the AFC Championship game. And, hey, somebody, you're getting the Super Bowl. Yeah, you get that familiarity out there, and yeah. you do have that chemistry working. And if people haven't worked together before, the Super Bowl is a stage that you probably don't want to have is the first time that they've all acquainted with each mm-hmm. other and maybe even met. And here's another thing, too. There's always this misnomer, people say, and we, we, we used the term two weeks ago. It's like in both of those championship games, they go, oh, well, you know, we're, they're going to let them play. Okay, and that's the biggest misnomer. I hate that. They let them play. Bottom line is, if it's a holding call, it's a holding call. If it's a pass interference call, it's a pass interference call. Plain and simple. And then we did see them get away with a lot of that on, on both defenses or all the de- uh, the defenses in those championship games. And what happened yesterday, the Kansas City probably thought what they got away with against Buffalo and Cleveland, that they could actually do that 
and they couldn't. And that's why they were complaining the entire time. But why did this happen? Well, Matt hit the nail on the head because Bruce Arians, credit to him, he probably put the word out there. But the other thing is, again, all-star crews, they're probably going to be a little more uh, mindful of like, okay, we're going to call that. So that's, you know, again, I'm, and I'm not, I don't want sour grapes. I'm not, I'm not coming across as sour grapes, so I don't want it to sound that way. But again, these are issues people are talking about today. And there's some validity because there are a couple calls there that you can make the argument like, I don't think that is supposed to warrant a flag. And, and when you listen to referees talk, they will say, we'll let you get away with this. We'll let you get away with that. But when we see that you are creating this, to get an unfair advantage, that's when we're going to throw a flag. And these four plays that we're talking about, I did not see an unfair advantage by them throwing the flag with that. So there you have it. All right, brother, we appreciate you as always, Matt. Thanks a lot, man. We uh, will talk to you very, very soon. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week, my friend. Frank, take care, guys. There he is, Matthew Holt, U.S. Integrity, does a fantastic job. And again, Integrity is his business, of course. Matt's story, uh, been with us a long time on the sports book side for all those years as a, as a VP, started his own company, and uh, has contracts with a lot of these professional leagues and many of the major college uh, conferences with basketball and football. And his company looks for things like that. So some interesting uh, comments from him. Well, and the other thing, too, when you're talking about the all-star crews and that, too, it's like maybe they want to show why they were an all-star. So maybe they're looking and maybe they're looking a little bit above. When you're talking about the chemistry, when you work with the same guys all the time, you kind of know, okay, this is my responsibility and that's what I'm going to watch. But when you're on an all-star crew, maybe you're like, well, maybe they're used to watching a little bit more or something that's not. When you see a guy way down in the backfield that throws a flag or doesn't throw a flag or something. So there is a there is something to be said for the crews being out there. You want an all-star crew, not necessarily all-stars at every position. You want the best team of people out there together. But the one time that I do like the uh, let them play uh, – when the Saints beat uh, number four in the Vikings years ago. That, you, that was a great let them play Why do game. you got to bring that? And again, do you know what you sound like there? That was Bounty Gate. I mean, they went after Brett Favre. I mean, I, they, they, they killed the guy. They killed him. What are you talking about? He's still making commercials. He's playing, he's playing pickleball now with, with Jerry Rice in his new commercial. You know how, it, what it takes to get to that level there? I mean, he, he was so close. And you know what? How many penalties? But by the you way, Numchuk, he, he wasn't with that team in the game I was talking about, okay? Exactly. So once again, you show that sometimes you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> he rang the bell himself. Why everybody always picking on me? <laughs> there you go. I like when they'll set deprecation. You, you called yourself out there. That's good. Um, yeah, man. See, can you imagine the penalties and the ejections that would have taken place today? You going back to that Saints Vikings game that you're talking about? Can you? Can, how about the wow. old '85 Bears? The penalties that they would have uh, in today's well, game. I mean, that's you know, again, that's just this when the more, game was different. Yeah, it was different. Yeah, Fred the Hammer Williamson was known as the Hammer because he would jump on people and yeah. throw a forearm shiver to yeah. their head. But really, in the last you know ten years, the game is supposed to be called you know pretty similar, and we can go back to decades and decades, you know, twenty, thirty years, and you can say, oh yeah, I mean, that's crazy. But I just it, threw out the one time that I was in favor of the let them play. You like to see a guy get brutalized and get hurt. That's that's horrible, he's man. Fine. That's, he's, he's fine. He's <laughs> fine. Why? Because he's playing pickleball. There playing you go. Pickleball, beating up on some, you know, ham and eggers on the weekend with him and Jerry Rice. He's got endorsements. He's fine. He's fine. There it is. And All he right. didn't get that second Super Bowl, did he? I'll tell you who. 
It's funny. For for a guy who's just like, oh, bears, bears, bears. But you got to go back to 1985. You, you got one in the last 30 years or whatever it's been. Come on, man. Yeah, it was the dominant team, years. though. It was an awesome team. Yeah, it was an awesome <laughs> team. But you're holding on to that? I mean, every day we get a an 85 Bears reference. Well, would you like me to be a Viking fan and hold on to none? No, I just <laughs> just just uh, just think if it wasn't live for, in the moment, my if friend. If it wasn't for Bonnie Gate, maybe the Vikings wouldn't have none. Uh, who, knows? who knows? Just saying. All right, I'll tell you who had a good day yesterday. Scott Spritzer, and uh, we'll talk about those prop bets. Uh, more of Super Bowl 55 with Scott when we come back. <laughs> T.C. Martin. I'm ready to go in, Coach. Just give me a chance. The doctor is now in, in, in. All right. You can still get over to William Hill and get the mobile app. That's right, because we got plenty of basketball, the NBA, college basketball, everything else. Australian Open. Australian Open. Get your tennis fix on like Frank, no doubt about it. Golf, you know. Got some majors that will be coming up in the very near future. All of it is there for you. The NHL, of course. Get the William Hill mobile app. Download it on your phone. Get over to any of the William Hill Sportsbooks and use that promo code TC50. Deposit $50 in a brand-new account. They'll match it with an additional $50. I know a lot of people took uh, advantage of that. And uh, a lot of people got some empty accounts this week. Uh, well, some some got a little more in their account, and some are going back to put a little bit more in again so they can continue to use the app. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> Get the William Hill mobile app. Very easy to use. Again, those in-game wagering options always available as well, too. All right. Been talking a lot today about what transpired on the field. Talked a little bit about behind the counter. Now let's talk about people cashing tickets. And uh, we go to Scott Spritzer for that. Uh, What's going on, my man? How's it going? It's going good. Uh, Not as good as you, though. I mean, congratulations. Uh, You touted Tampa Bay. I got to give you props for your best bet that you talked about you know, last week uh, in, on our website, Tampa Bay, lane seven and a half. I believe, what was that number, Scott? Plus 350, 360 you got on that? I mean, kudos, man. Great call. Yeah, that was anywhere from plus 375 to like plus 425, depending on when you got it and where you got it. So uh, we got a little bit over four bucks, and it was one of those things where, you know, I mean, if you if the line would have been Tampa Bay seven and a half, I probably would have taken the Chiefs right originally. Right. Uh, but with that big price, thinking that if the Buccaneers are going to win this game, there's a good chance it's going to be a lot to do with that offensive line for Kansas City not being able to hold up against a very talented Tampa Bay defensive front. And I thought if Tampa Bay does win this game, they're probably going to do it by ten or more. So went ahead and laid the seven and a half. The top play for me was Tampa Bay plus the points. Mm-hmm. And then I tossed in small play on the under and, and a few props uh, that also cashed. And so it was, yeah, it was a really good Super Bowl. My, one of my top five Super Bowls as far as profits were concerned. And I thought it was interesting, too, because you said you figured that if Tampa Bay won, they might win by 10 or more. And yet they threw out a stat in the game, I believe, where they said it's the first time in Mahomes' career that he's lost by double digits in any game. Yeah, and it's a situation where, again, if it was Eric Fisher up front, if they had their starting offensive linemen, then I wouldn't have even played that prop. But I, the thing that shocked, uh, surprised me the most last week was to hear, you know, just like nobody really make it a big deal about the fact that they were not only missing the two starting tackles, but four offensive linemen altogether on the depth chart. And, you know, Rimmers is not even close to the capability or the talent level at this point of his career as Fisher. So when you're going up against Shaq Barrett and others who they lined up against him, I, d- I just really thought it was a, a good advantage for Tampa Bay. 
And then it's kind of funny because I was doing a – it might have been your show or it might have been another last week, and I was saying, man, if, if I was you know, Todd Bowles, I would drop – uh, my, I would drop a couple of extra defenders back to help out the corners since they were banged up and force Kansas City to throw everything underneath to run the football and to not be able to beat you deep. And they kept everything in front of them. And by doing that, obviously it threw off the timing and everything else about Casey's offense, which is a timing offense. And as great as Patrick Mahomes is, I'm still a huge Patrick Mahomes fan, as great as he is when the timing's off for everybody, it's going to throw off his game also. The thing that's, that I'm thinking about, I was texting a little bit last night with a couple of other betters, and I was saying, you know, it's going to be interesting next season to see if Tampa Bay laid the blueprint on how to at least throw a couple hurdles in Casey's way as far as the offense is concerned. Uh, maybe not to the magnitude that New England did to the Rams a few years ago when they held them to three points in that Super Bowl. But I'm telling you what, man, if you've got a good, talented defense, not the mediocre defenses, not the bad defenses, but if you've got a talented defense, even when Fisher comes back and that offensive line is healthy, they did some things by dropping extra people back into coverage, forcing everything underneath that other teams might be able to copy. And it's going to take Bienemy and Reed. Their minds are going to have to come together and figure this out because I think other teams will at least try it in the early portion of next season. You know, Scott, I'm going to jump on your point here and throw out an example for you. I was thinking that exact same thing because, as we know, this is a copycat league. We see it, and you say that just about at every league, but the NFL really is that way. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, the way the Chiefs have been able just to basically, I don't want to say roll over opponents, but just gain yards and score points. And we know that they went through that. That, uh, that time this year, you know, where they weren't covering the number, they weren't winning by more than six points for a, a good stretch up until that Buffalo game. But you go back to that Super Bowl, and you're a historian, you'll know what I'm talking about here, when the Rams were all the hype of Kurt Warner, the greatest show on turf and everything, and they went to that, that, that Super Bowl, and they got shut down. It was Brady's first Super Bowl, I believe, that he won, and what Belichick did to those guys. Now, sure, Warner, I think, was like 33 at the time, and he was, you know, he wasn't done. He was still, you know, kind of at its peak, but the Rams never got back to that greatest show on turf at that point in time. And to this day, I mean, they've never been the same team, the same franchise. I know they moved to L.A. and that sort of thing. But you got to remember, they were like the Chiefs, where they were scoring 35, 40, sometimes 50 a game. And Belichick and the Patriots figured them out, laid the blueprint. That Rams team never came close to sniffing the Super Bowl again. Yeah, and the same goes for the most recent Rams Super Bowl team, right. you know, which is what I was mentioning a couple years ago. Remember that right. regular season going into the playoffs? That offense was about as yep. clicking about as well as an offense possibly could. Uh, they were rolling over everybody. And what happened? Belichick goes, okay, or his defensive coaches, one or the other, they basically said, we're going to make Todd Gurley stay in the backfield, an extra beat, an extra count, and throw off the time into their offense. And they've never been the same. And now Goff has been shipped off to Detroit. Uh, so, yeah, you got to wonder. I mean, I, I think. This, remember last year's Super Bowl, Kansas City had 10 points after three quarters. They were down 20 to 10. If Jimmy Garoppolo was, you know, three quarters the quarterback of Tom Brady, they probably win that football game last year. He missed a couple of open receivers that could have won that game for San Francisco. So we've seen now in back-to-back Super Bowls, the Chiefs, Chiefs offense hit the skids for seven out of eight quarters. And so what I would do if I'm a defensive coordinator and I got – halfway decent talent, I copy exactly what the Buccaneers did. And I, I'm going to throw it out there and say, hey, KC, if you can beat me, then you're going to beat me. I think the mediocre defenses, the weak defenses, 
of the league that KC faces, they'll be able to still do well against. But when they're running up against the top six or seven defensive DVOA-ranked teams, they might find the going a little bit tougher. And you mentioned all the close games this year that they won. So anyway, having settled that, the talent is great enough to where they can still squash mediocre and poor defenses. But I think they're going to have some issues that they're going to have to work out and come up with a little bit of a different look than what they've been doing the last couple of years in the regular season. And again, you know, it's funny because they're talking about, look what Tampa Bay just did to KC. And one of the things I was talking about last week on some articles and some shows were, hey, San Francisco completely shut them down until Garoppolo couldn't make the plays. And then all of a sudden the defense was on the field for a long time in the fourth quarter. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is fantastic. He made a couple of big plays. KC wins the game, a game where they had 10 points through three quarters. Mahomes' worst game of his career, self-admittedly so, no touchdowns, two interceptions, a quarterback rating of 49.9. Here was his quote, I just think we weren't on the same page as an offense. I wasn't getting the ball out on time. The receivers were running routes not exactly where I thought they were going to be at. The offensive line, they were good sometimes, and sometimes they let guys through. When you play a good defense like that, you've got to be on the same page as the offense, and we weren't today, and that's why we played so bad they were just better than us. Okay, when you dive into everything that he just said there, it just blows me away, Scott, on how this is – you have two weeks to prepare. This is the biggest game of, of, of your career, of your life for a lot of these guys. And granted, the offensive line had a lot to do with it. But not being on the same page with your receivers and not knowing where they're at or they're running the wrong routes, I just, you know, especially for an Andy Reid team, that's what blew me away because it, it, it looked totally different on the other sideline. And when, when Tampa Bay had the ball, they were prepared. And I said it earlier, I'll say it again. They, the Chiefs were outcoached. They were outplayed. They were outhustled. And uh, basically, they did not have the desire or that, uh, that fortitude or that will that Tampa Bay had. I think the thing that surprised me the most, because obviously I didn't expect, you know, a 22-point Tampa Bay win, right? You know, I mean, right. you know, let's call it like it is. My top play was to take Tampa Bay plus three and a half. You know, so I thought, you know, I, I wasn't thinking that they're going to just completely shut down the Kansas City Chiefs. I think what surprised me the most, though, watching that football game, if I, who have never played in the NFL, who've never played college football, who've never coached at either level, thought that Bowles was going to throw this defense out there that was going to do what they ended up doing, then why weren't the Kansas City Chiefs prepared for it if, in, in case it happened? You know, there was really, I mean, none of those guys on that Kansas City uh, offensive coaching staff, the enemy, Andy Reid, none of them thought that this could happen, that he might actually drop extra guys and in, in help out with his, his corners and force them to go underneath and force them to run the football behind a banged-up offensive line. There was no adjustment. <laughs> like, you know, okay, we're going to throw this out there, and if they do this, we're going to have an answer for them. They never had an answer for it. So their timing was thrown off. They kept doing what they did during the last two years in the regular season, and they were out of luck at that point. And so I think that, that was what surprised me the most. I mean, I know I've been tackling, as you know, a lot of you guys have also, I've been tackling NFL and college football from a spread standpoint and looking for edges for my entire adult life. But I still shouldn't be able to say a week before the game, this is what Tampa Bay is probably going to do. And guys that are coaching and been playing all their lives can't even have a, an offense ready to go, a plan B just in case it happens. You know, Scott, when you're talking about that, it leads me into a question too because 
it seemed like the whole lead up to the Super Bowl, a lot of people were saying, do you put anything into that first matchup? And most people were like, no, it was a long time ago. The teams are so different in that. But it seems like Tampa Bay did put something into that. They knew the speed of the Chiefs. They knew what they liked to do. And they certainly came with a game plan to, like you mentioned, shut it down and certainly to shut down Hill and make him a non-factor in the game, almost saying like, okay, well, Kelsey's going to make some receptions, but let's not let him make the big one. They made adjustments. They took some of that information from the first game. And like you mentioned, once they did that, it's like Kansas City went, well, wait a second, they're stopping everything we did. We don't have a plan B. That's inexcusable, but it does look like that first game did mean something to Tampa in hindsight. Yeah, they changed. They adjusted, and the Chiefs did not. And, you know, it's funny. I was doing the show the other day, and, you know, I, I had one of my props that I had was uh, Tyreek Hill over six and a half receptions. He finished with seven, so he squeaked over the total. But I did that also thinking that Tampa Bay was going to shut down anything long because they were going to have to go underneath. And that's what Tampa Bay's mindset was, like you just said about Kelsey. We're going to give up the five-yard pass. We're going to give up the eight-yard pass. We're going to make sure that we tackle well. We're going to keep yards after catch to a minimum. And they ain't getting behind us no matter what. And there might have been one or two passes that I can recall at the top of my head. might have been more. But what I remember of one or two passes where they threw deep and there was a chance for a reception, but it never happened because of great coverage or a pass that was a little bit overthrown or underthrown. Other than that, everything had to be dumped off underneath. They didn't have a plan B, but yeah, you're right. I mean, that's what they did. They said, we're going to let you throw those dinks and dumps. We're not going to let you go deep. And again, just to hit on it again, not to beat a, a dead horse, so to speak, but the bottom line is, is that when you don't have a plan B and you didn't think it through enough that they might make these changes and do exactly what they did. It's just mind-boggling to me. And, you know, it's like, well, it's almost like unfair to Patrick Holmes. It was, to a sense, it was, well, we have Patrick Holmes, and he's played the quarterback position differently and better. And, you know, with all the running and throwing from different arm angles, like no, one, no one's business, no one ever has done before. And all of a sudden, you know, he's not the great savior when he's got nobody else around him blocking for him. You know, his, his time to drop back and pass was drastically cut in yesterday's game from his entire career. And he was constantly scrambling, you know, in the, in the backfield, trying to wait to get guys open. It was, it was just an A-plus defensive game plan, effort, everything you can think of by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Kansas City was not ready to make an adjustment. Scott Spritzer joins us from Doc Sports. You can check Scott's uh, selections out and everything at DocSports.com. All right, Scott, let's talk about the future of the Chiefs, and we know people love to overreact, uh, you know, what their eyes just saw yesterday. Now it's like, oh, wait a minute. We were just two weeks ago or even last week or a few days ago, we are talking about the dynasty of the Chiefs, that they could, you know, win multiple Super Bowls in a row. Well, the future odds are out next year, and the Chiefs are the favorite, basically at, at plus 5-1 to one or plus 5 50 uh looks like they're already the betting favorite give me some thoughts on that yeah i'm not going to play them um again it's a a situation where you know this is going to be a team that we're you know as long as mahomes is there we're going to be talking about this team being a front runner for as long as he's there for the most part however you know the, the 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 shine is off because they've been we've seen now what you have to do to slow them down two super bowls in a row and so I won't be betting on them. Should they be the favorite? Absolutely. The sports books are absolutely correct to make them the favorite. If they weren't, they'd be taking all Chiefs money. Doesn't mean they deserve to be getting all that money. So, yeah, as far as that's concerned, I won't be on it. I think Kansas City is going to, of course, we don't know the schedule, but I think there's a great shot they're going to win 10 or 11 games next year. 
I just don't think there's such an automatic to make it to the Super Bowl, you know, year after year after year under Mahomes until they make a little bit of a change. It can't be all just timing, throw the ball deep, throw the ball to Kelsey over the middle, hit Tyreek Hill 15 yards downfield to watch him burst, hit him 35 yards downfield, get a pass interference call your way when they grab Tyreek Hill. It just can't go on and on against the best teams in the NFL. And again, you know, I know I said this earlier, but I go back to last year's Super Bowl. They've now played in two Super Bowls in a row. They've had one quarter of offensive success. In eight quarters, they've had one quarter of offensive success. So next year in the playoffs, I think you're going to see teams that are good enough to be in the playoffs and good enough defenses to get there that are going to really, really try to force Kansas City to beat them by doing something different than they're used to. How about the flip side? What about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Obviously, they're the Super Bowl defending champions. We know Brady's coming back. It looks like Gronk is. Where do you put this team? Was this just a miracle season that ended up with the happy ending everybody was hoping it was going to in Tampa Bay? Or are they should may, they maybe be the favorite to win the Super Bowl since they just did it in pretty one-sided manner? Yeah, you've still got a quarterback who fires lasers and looks off defenders as well as anybody in the league and Tom Brady playing like he's 28. Um, so there's that. You've got incredible talent at wide out, wide receiver, tight end. Uh, you've got also two running backs. Ronald Jones is healthy. That was one of my props was Ronald Jones over eight and a half carries, and he finished with 12. Whether it's Leonard Fournette or Ronald Jones, you're talking about two potential all-pro running backs if they were the, you know, the player, the running back on a team instead of sharing carries. So you've got two fantastic all-pro caliber running backs, great receivers with speed, a quarterback who knows how to go through his progressions better than anybody in the league, and then the defense. Here's the thing about the defense. Yesterday was a perfect setup for them, and they played perfectly uh, going up against a, a banged-up Kansas City offensive line. But I don't want to just leave it at that because – they own the number one rated defense in weighted DVOA and total DVOA this season, and they were top five in those two important metrics since week four of this football season. So as one article had put it, even when they were seven and five, they still had a top five defense in DVOA, which is the most important metric for me when it comes to defenses. And they were just in, in, in a situation of getting used to each other. I mean, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago when Brady forgot the downage you know, against the Chicago Bears. So it was a matter of that offense getting on the same page. The defense was fine. So as long as they keep, you know, the majority of those players next year going into next year, that defense is good enough to help carry this football team. And if they can keep that receiving core, if they can keep Jones and Fournette, Brady's coming back. You know, there's, they could win again. I mean, there's, you know, it's just one of those things. Yeah. And, again, I didn't want to take too much credit away from Tampa Bay by saying they had a perfect situation against KC because this defense was so good after the first three weeks of the football season. All right, brother. We appreciate it. Congratulations again. We look forward to talking with you a little bit later on. Sounds good, man. Take care, guys. There he is, Scott Spritzer, DocSports.com, his selections, and a great Super Bowl for Scott. All right, I want to thank T.J. Reese for joining us from Tampa Bay, the winning side, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and uh, more Super Bowl talk tomorrow. We'll hit the commercials tomorrow and a whole lot more as well, too. Numchuck wants to talk about the Puppy Bowl. I don't know about that. The Shaq Bowl? I don't know. I don't know. They were kind of dog games. Yeah. <laughs> Miss any part of this? Go to the website and check it all out at tcmartinshow.com. We'll see you tomorrow at 2.